You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 387. I am Tim Robertson. I am David Cohen. How are you this week, David? Pretty good. Pretty good. Been a long week. Looking forward to the weekend. But, uh, yeah, I'm okay. Good. I like to hear that. How about you? I'm okay. Long day at work yesterday. Sold three cars and... Uh, you know, it kind of takes, it's, look, uh, let's be, it's the easiest job I've ever had. Well, it's the easiest job for you. Well, it's, I'm okay at it. I mean, I, I, if I probably got a job in car sales, I don't think I'd be very good at it. I don't feel comfortable negotiating with people. Hmm. It's, it, it may be, maybe it's a British thing. A lot, a lot of British people are a little bit more reserved. I put it this way. I, I, Avoid. I'm quite happy to do the pre-sales job in my in my uh, consultancy work, yeah. where I, you know, talk to somebody about their requirements and that sort of thing, and work up the proposals and all of that. But I don't like doing the, you know, the initial, uh, you know, well, what could we do for you? Can I convince you in, you know, we, did you know that we did this? Did you know we did? I don't like any of that stuff at all. That's not I how it works, that. though. Yeah. So I'll give, well, I'll give yeah. you an example. Give me an example. I got a guy comes in, wants a uh, Toyota Avalon. So he walks in the door and I say, you know, welcome to Metro Toyota. Uh, what can I do for you today? And he says, oh, we're, you know, we've got a Camry and we're thinking about, you know, an Avalon this time. So I say, that's awesome. Um, have you done any research in it? And they usually say, oh, a little bit. And then if I've got it on the showroom floor, I'll do a walk around. Well, you know, it's got radar cruise control. Uh, do you know what that is? No. Uh, it, it maintains the distance between you and the car in front of you. So if you're driving, say you've got your cruise set at 70 miles an hour and you come up behind a semi doing 60, this vehicle will automatically slow down and maintain the distance between you and the car in front of you. Then I talk about, you know, a couple of the other safety things. Uh, talk about it's got a V6 and, you know, open the door, have them sit in it. And would you like to take one of these for a test drive? Yeah. Do you have any color in mind or what colors don't you like that's a better question because if you ask them what color they ha- they they want and you don't have that color you're screwed yeah so you say what colors don't you like do you like light color cars dark color cars because you're going to have something in light and something in dark and you get the keys pull the car up go for a test drive with them um too many salesmen talk too much on the test drive hmm. i don't i explain you, something you have to go with them um, nine out of 10 times, you'll sell them the car in the car. Right. Uh, some customers want to go by themselves and I have no problem with that. I say, no problem at all. Why don't you hop in for a second? Let me show you a few things. Then you guys can go for a ride. Mm-hmm. Come back. What'd you think? Blah, blah, blah. Yes. Would that one work for you? Yeah, that would be great. All right. Well, let's come into my office and, uh, we can talk about price and stuff like that. And I'll sit down and I go pull out my sheet. You always have a rate sheet and what's going on. Yeah. I say, so right now we've got $2,000 cash back, or I'm sorry, twenty two fifty cash back on the Avalon, which is awesome. But you guys are in a Camry. Toyota is running a special promotion right now that if you upgrade from a Camry to an Avalon, they kick in another $2,000. So I've actually got forty two fifty cash back, which is unheard of on a Toyota, especially an Avalon. Um, how much money are you guys looking down? Are you financing it or are you just going to write a big old fat check? 
And they go, oh, we're, you know, we're going to finance it. And, okay, are you thinking like 60 months, 72 months, or do you want a shorter term? And they tell me that. And I go, okay, let me go put some numbers together. I'll be right back. Come back with the numbers. I show them. So we're selling the car at this. Here's your license, your registration, your tax. So this is how much we're actually selling the car with tax time and license. Plus, you've got this 4250 cash back. So this is your final price. And let's say it's 362. And you, you can tell immediately if it's too much for them. They get yeah. the look in their face. Or if that's fine, they're good with that. And I immediately say, so all I need you to do is sign right here and we'll get the ball rolling. Oh, hmm. You guys need a few minutes to talk about it yourself? Yeah, if you don't mind. I'll step out of the office, go use the bathroom, go grab some coffee, whatever. Come back. <laughs> so last, just the last time I did that, well, the... the um the Toyota dealership we bought our uh, Yaris from here in the UK doesn't have offices you can go in. It has like these pods mm-hmm. out on the sales floor, yeah? Yeah, those suck. <laughs> well, well, yeah, they do suck. But while we're there, my wife, when she whispers to me, she says, I heard somewhere once that they put microphones in these so they can hear what you say. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, even if you did, what, you're going to run to another room and listen well, to Well, this is, uh, <laughs> I said, how would that work? Would would you have to have somebody listening in and on all of them at the same time? You need one for each right. pod. For, and, for, for each pod, you, you need know. another person, not the salesman, uh, somebody else. Yeah, but then also somebody, somebody who kind of knows what kind of deal you're looking for and that sort of thing, unless they've listened to the entire conversation. It's like it would be a whole double job. So I come back. Sometimes there's a trade in there, you know. Yeah. You come back. Let's say this guy had a trade. It was worth two grand, older car. Come back and they go... It, you know, this is a little bit more than we were thinking. I was like, okay, well, what number did you have in mind when you came in? Obviously, you know, we all live on a budget, um, whether it's a huge budget or a small budget or anything in between, we all live on a budget. So what were you guys thinking? And they'll give you a number and you look at your figures and you calculate what their numbers are and you go, okay, well, let me go see if my boss can do anything for you guys. And you walk out and you talk to your boss Maybe you bump up the trade. Maybe you lower the price of the car a little bit. There's not a whole lot of margin anymore in new cars. Come back, show them the numbers, and you ask for the sale again. So we can get you at, we're at this price now. Um, To move forward, um, I can uh, take a credit application. I do need a copy. Are you both going to be on the title? You notice I didn't actually ask, does this price work for you? Yeah. It's called assuming the sale. Nine out of ten people at that point, if you came really close to their price, they're buying. Yeah. And then you just go with it. They go, oh, it's going to be, you know, both of us on the title. Okay, I need a copy of both your driver's license. Are you transferring a plate from that trade or do you need a new plate? Okay, I need a registration from that vehicle. And do me a favor, uh, grab a copy of your insurance when you go out and get your registration, and I can call your agent for you and give them the new VIN number. And you just start walking through the process. It's not difficult, man. I can't mm. talk anybody into buying a car. Yeah. See, that's what most people don't get. Oh, I couldn't talk anybody into buying a car. Of course you couldn't. You're not going to talk anybody into spending twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. Hell, if I could do that, I, I, you know, I'd be I'd be a very rich guy in selling uh, property in New York City. But you have to assume that most people who come to a car dealership are looking to buy a car and exactly. are already in the mindset to buy a car. Yeah. Nobody came in there to make yeah. friends. No one's coming to a car dealership to hang out because it's a groovy place to be. Yeah, they're there because they need a car. I, that's happens to be what I do. I sell cars, no problem. 
So it's it's I think it's the easiest job. And and yet you are successful at it, and there are people who are not. So you've just made it sound very very easy, but obviously it's not easy. Otherwise, everybody would do it. Well, you want to know what my secret to being car salesman of the year last year was, I, David? You sure? Are you sure you want to state this secret source on the podcast yeah, where yeah. the entire world can listen to it? Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm extremely. I, if I have one skill set, I'm extremely good at reading people very quickly. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm good at. Yeah, and I know exactly the approach to take. Okay. See, too many car that. salesmen they keep their pitch exactly the same. Yeah. Stupid. If I did it, I'd probably have to rely on blackmail. Thing. Yeah, or drugs. You know, <laughs> or maybe blackmail and drugs. I, I rely on humor a whole lot. Well, you know what? I I do a lot of humor as well in my job. You have to. So, yeah. If you can, if I can get the customer laughing, it yeah. relieves that stress. They realize I'm not trying to high pressure sales them. I did this whole. Um, you know, sometimes you 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 kind of do a whole funny thing. You think, you know, I could do this as stand up if, if I wanted to. Of course, it's not that easy, but I did this whole thing the other day. This uh, lady at the office, she's just been on holiday to the Gambia in Africa, right? And she only went because it was really, really cheap. And the reason it was really cheap is because it's in the Gambia. (laughs) Um, And she was talking about, and and I've had this when I went to Botswana as well, where, where she got this taxi driver who kind of attached himself to her. And for the whole week she was there, he was her taxi driver. And this is this is what happens in Botswana as well. They 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 take you from the airport and then they you know they say right any taxis you call me and I'll I'll sort you out sort of thing you know. So this guy was called Moses. <laughs> so I started with this you know series of things like oh Moses great. <laughs> I said you know did every time you come to river did the the water parts they could drive <laughs> yeah. through you know. I said. Moses, he's got a really great cab, but but when you get in, you've got you. The first thing he does say to you is, "Right, I've just got ten rules you've got to apply when you when you ride with me." You know? Bad. All of this kind of stuff. I had don't take us out yet. to the desert, Moses. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah, on Moses, a schedule. Yeah, Mo, Moses. Uh, he, you know, he he used to live in Egypt, but he had to leave very suddenly. And there was a whole load of stuff I missed, right? And I had everybody in the office in stitches because I was just doing the bam, 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 one after the other. Right. You know. <laughs> Yeah. I like telling dad jokes to the other salesmen sometimes. Yeah. The one that I uh, was doing yesterday, I told Brooke this one too, and she literally hit me. I said, (laughs) you know why they never asked uh, Hitler for driving directions? What's that? He he always told the people the same thing. Take the third Reich. (laughs) It's really bad. That's right. Or the other one would be, um, you know... Go to Poland first, yeah. but then whatever you do, don't go to Russia in the winter. No. <laughs> Doesn't end well. No. I watched a really, I really enjoyed it, but it's a really bad movie. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, the, the title. Uh, the Man Who Killed Hitler and Then The Bigfoot. Oh, I heard. I saw a review of that movie. It's, it's, is it really bad? Because it's meant to be kind of like epically quite good. I really liked it. I yeah. like Sam Elliott, so I was predisposed to like it. Yeah, it's really about a movie about regrets, mm-hmm. um, and it's really a character study. But it was well done. It was well acted. It wasn't over the top at all. Um, 
Well, there was one part, but other than that, it, it was actually well done. Um, yeah. It's about relationships, and I, I, I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. Yeah. I watched it, and I thought, this is this is a lot better than it has any right to be. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, you get those movies, and it, yeah, and it sounds like the only idea was the title, and then everything kind of yes. was just spun out from that. Right, they, that like, one with instance, the uh, Nazis snake. on the moon. Yeah, or like uh, yeah, or uh, snakes, snakes on, on a plane. plane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I found something cool about uh, the iPhone. Go on then. So I'm not going to say the hey thing anymore. But right. I'm walking out to my car, and I want to call Julie. Um, and my phone is in my front pocket with the microphone kind of sticking up. Mm-hmm. So I do the hey, you know, yeah. and she pops up. And I said, call Julie and turn on the speakerphone, or and turn on the speaker. Didn't know if it was going to work or not, and it absolutely did. Very cool. Yep. It will but call that, that person and turn on your speaker. Isn't that the problem with all of these assistants, though, is sometimes it's like playing those old adventure games where you're going to say something and you don't know whether it's going to work or not. And sometimes, it's not as bad as it used to be, but sometimes it's it's actually if you don't phrase it exactly right, then it won't work. Right. And and the reason I mentioned the old adventure games, does anybody who was into computers in the early days remembers the first time adventure games were just text? Yes. And so it would give you a description of the room, and then you would have to, t- what do you want to do next? Look up, look down, pick up the. The worst thing was pick up the because you would go into a into a description of a room, and it would say you are in a small um, stone walled room. There is a well in the middle of the room, and on top of the well there is a sword. And you would not know whether the sword was germane to the plot or not. So therefore you would go, pick up sword. And sometimes it would let you, it would say, you have the sword. And other times it would not. The problem was, is you didn't know if it wouldn't let you do it, because basically that's just background is irrelevant. Yeah, or whether the fact is you've you've typed pick up sword with a space between the pick and the up. And you need to type pick up sword with it, you know... (laughs) Yep, and you could end up spending hours just <laughs> typing commands and using those assistants. to be a little bit where you, where you, you know, and I've noticed it in my family. Yeah, we have um, we have an, an Amazon Echo in our bedroom, and it's uh, we also have a, a Wi-Fi enabled light bulb in the bedroom, so you can use the uh, the Alexa skill to um, turn the light on and off and set the brightness. And I have to say, it's one of those things that when you don't have one, you think, oh, my God, what a waste of time. Why don't you, you know, how much did that lot cost? I can hear Brenda going, <laughs> what? You spent £120 so you could speak to your light bulb, right? But the thing is, is that um, my wife had surgery a while back and she wasn't able to get up and down very easily. And it was a godsend for the fact that she could control the light switch with her voice. Yeah. yeah? But the problem is, is that, um, sometimes you say the keyword, and then you say turn on bedroom light at fifty percent, and most of the time it works fine. Sometimes it doesn't, <laughs> and then I've noticed what you do is you, the person will say it again slightly louder and very, very well articulated <laughs> like that, because that will help the device understand you a lot better. Right? And if it doesn't respond, then then people kind of go, you know. Ooh, 
Yeah. Right, and then they start shouting. Yes. And half the time it's because you may have misread, because if you don't call it bedroom light, if you call it, you turn on bedroom or something like that, then it won't work. And and you, you may have had just a, a brain fart at that point and forgotten to say it. And um, then you end up screening it like your light bulb. What's more entertaining is when you've had somebody else in the house and they've either turned on the switch, turned off the switch of the wall, and we can't see our switch because it's behind, uh, it's kind of hidden behind a cabinet right. from from the bed. Yeah, so you don't usually shouting a thing and thing going. I can't contact that device right now, and you don't know why. Or the other thing is that we have a Wi-Fi repeater up there because we've got a three-story house, and sometimes if if somebody's been using the vacuum cleaner, they'll have turned it off or unplugged it. And not turn it back on again, which yep. means it's not the internet. Uh, I spent some money. Yeah. Yep. It was a week ago, but I got it today. I forgot that I ordered. I got it uh, two days ago. I forgot I actually ordered it. Um, it's a. I sent. I put a link in the uh, show notes. It's mm-hmm. a Pac-Man light with sound. So it's this Pac-Man light-up light, and it comes with a little remote control. It's actually pretty bright, to be honest, when it's dark. But you can adjust the light. Um, I don't know. It's got maybe seven, seven, I think, seven or eight levels of brightness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could turn it on where it doesn't make any noise. But if you just turn it on like this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it does this. Yeah, it's super annoying. Yeah. But I love of it. Of course, the the one sound you want to hear is the die. This is the Pac-Man dying sound. Everyone loves that noise. Yeah, I think it does it. Yeah. So um, it, it's interesting. You can get. I, it used to be all of this kind of geeky stuff costs so much money. Yeah. But now, thanks to the Chinese tiger economy, you can pick up this stuff at dirt cheap. You got that uh, page loaded. I have, yeah. You see, it's got the three mini thumbs at the bottom, and the second and the third one has a ghost. Yeah, I have that ghost light. I've had it for a couple of years. And does the ghost one make noises as well? No, it doesn't. See, what you actually want to do is you want to have them both, and you want to have the the ghost be red or yellow. I don't know what colors were they. The ghost, red or pink or whatever. Yeah. And then if you've got them both. You want to be able to press a button and the ghost turn blue and you hear the uh, the noise of, um, you know, the frightened ghost. Yeah, but the, the eyes have to change if it turns blue. Yeah. What would be funny is to uh, mount these to like a little Roomba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I, I smell a viral YouTube video. Yeah, I do too. You have the Roomba coming in and with the what? With the ghost behind chasing yeah, it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Uh, we do get some uh, links that you put in here. Um, yeah, and actually one of them is about Pac-Man, so that's quite yeah, serendipitous. And, yeah. we, we didn't even plan this. No, it's funny that so, works out. <laughs> so I, I thought you'd be interested in this, though, um, because you are um, very much into uh, large-format arcade cabinets. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, restoring these things, which you've done a bit of as well. Yeah. And this is, this is something that you see this, and, of course, you immediately go... Oh, yeah, but nobody thought about it until somebody pointed out, you know. And this uh, arcade researcher has done a, uh examination of the fact that if you look at old Pac-Man games, you will see that the vast majority of the cabinets all have wear on the left-hand side. Mm-hmm. It turns out 
that unconsciously um, most people who play Pac-Man uh, will use the use the joystick with the right hand. It only has one controller, four-way joystick controller, um, and they get so into the game. And anybody who's played Pac-Man recognizes this: is that you kind of tense up, and when you tense up, then you start moving along with the character on the screen. So you're not just calmly moving the joystick, but you're kind of holding, moving your body back yeah. and forth, twisting and turning along with Pac-Man as, as, he's, as he's either being chased by or chasing the ghosts. Uh, and it turns out that pretty much everybody who plays the game will grab hold of the side of the arcade cabinet with their left hand and support themselves there and now all these old cabinets have this wear pattern kind of like when you have stone steps and um over hundreds of years they've kind of got depressions in the middle um you will see that all of these arcade cabinets have um have this wear on the left hand side and i think what the um well, the lady who wrote this article uh, kind of laments at one point is the fact that nowadays a lot of collectors kind of paint up the cabinets and, and want to make them like they were new. And they're saying that kind of loses something about the fact that actually this is this shows kind of the life of the cabinet and the game by having these marks on. Yeah, the marks are terrible. I, <laughs> I don't like well, Okay. You're so, Tim says, screw history. I want it to look nice. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't want wear marks from five million people touching the cabinet. They were picking their nose a minute before that, and then they... Uh, see, I, I, I wouldn't mind the wear marks. What always used to annoy me, um, and modern people... But people in, from the modern world won't realize this, because we don't have this problem anymore, was arcade games with cigarette burns on. Yeah. Which always used to drive me insane. Yeah, because you'd put your cigarette there and it would start burning down until it hit the cabinet oh, oh yeah or you'd have it in your fingers and you're, yep. you're not realizing the tip of the cigarette was was burning the cabinet surface while you were uh, no it's it was because they were putting the cigarette down i i remember that extremely well yeah. i i also remember i wish i could find these um different arcades had their own little ashtrays that they would put on the arcades yeah you know aladdin's castle or namco or what have you and I thought those were kind of cool. Um, well, they were cool when they were clean. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you went to a yeah. cabinet that, that had well, know, usually it was cigarettes stubbed into it, yeah. then uh, it wasn't very nice. No. Yeah. Um, I I get I get where the point of the article is coming from. And my full-size arcades, neither one of them have been restored. So they show the old wear and tear. Um, my Pac-Man is an actual Super Pac-Man, which doesn't have the side the same as the is yeah. what you're looking at in this picture of Eva Lagoria. Um but yeah, I I get where she's coming from, but you know, if I'm restoring a cabinet, I just looking at that photo you can see that the graphics look like crap. It's yeah. all faded and chipped and you know, this is in your house. You want it to look really cool. So you yeah. just you redo it and make it look better. The th- thing that always bothered me about the the uh, graphics art on the side of the Pac-Man game was that Pac-Man had feet and legs. I always thought that was wrong. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. I thought that was stupid. Yeah. Because he just basically, he looks nothing like the character no, in the game. No, nothing. The ghosts kind of do, but Pac-Man, didn't, he didn't yeah. know what Pac-Man looked like. No. Even in the logo, it looks correct. And then yeah, this yeah. weird... I always thought it looked like it was Pac-Man wearing socks or something. It was terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I get that, you know. It, but here's here's the flip side of that. So 
when you buy an old car, you're not supposed to restore it. You know, well, the seats are some- flat. Well, yeah, but that's yeah. that people sat there. Yeah, it's got 50 years of farts in the seat. I don't want that. What <laughs> a nice clean cushion and some now, fabric. I don't now, want that. Do the f- did the, what is it? is it is it the people sitting on the seat that flattens the seat or is it the farts? That's what I want to know. I think it's a combination. <laughs> you should. Dep- you know, depends you know, if they're a you know, Taco see, Bell eater or not. Yeah, you, you know, you know, you see those. Um, sometimes those be kind of behind the scenes things of how they test products, and there's uh-huh. always like something something from IKEA where they have like a robot that pushes right. down and presses up on the sofa to test where. I wonder if that if that has farts built in. No. Or whether it. <laughs> Well, maybe it should. You should absolutely. Sounds like sounds like they missed a trick. <laughs> so you want to volunteer to run that get run that machine? Uh, I like this uh, this tweet that you posted to about the uh, the foldable phone. <laughs> yeah, I I because we we mentioned the foldable phone last foldable phones last week, and you know we we were both kind of a bit nonplussed about. You know, it's kind of cool, but what's it for? Who needs it, and everything like that. And after that show, um, because Mobile World Congress was was just starting last week, um, uh, there was a new phone shown from um, from Huawei, the the, uh, the Chinese state-owned uh, phone manufacturer. Yeah. And um, their one is different than Samsung's because Samsung kind of folds inwards. And their one folds outwards, so the screen is on the outside. Um, and, and a lot of people kind of said, "Well, this, you know, this look, this looks a lot better because it's it doesn't have have as complicated hinge. It looks a little bit more impressive, and all of this sort of thing." There's a whole lot of issues with it apparently because obviously the the, um, the screen's now on the outside, which means any time you put the phone down, you're going to risk damaging the screen. Sure, it's stupid. It's not glass because glass doesn't bend. Right, but. Uh, what I found interesting about this tweet is that um, all the shots that we saw from Mobile World Congress, from the press and everything, were very carefully, obviously pr- carefully provided by the manufacturers, showing it off at its best and that sort of thing. But when you actually see um, uh, some footage from somebody who was just there at the time, they, 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 they've taken a, uh, they've taken this, this short movie and the, the stage lights are reflecting off the screen, and you can see a big ugly mark where the fold is because obviously think about it it's plastic and you're folding it it's going to crease it, it looks like cellophane tape holding two different phones it, together it, yeah it does it it makes it look like a um what it made me think of is you remember those child's toys you used to get where you had it was like a gray background and then a sheet of plastic on oh, the top yeah, yeah. and you wrote on it and then you ri- you lifted it up to, to to clear the yeah clear the screen yeah and those normally after about 15 20 minutes always looked like crap because the plastic was really thin and this is what this reminds me of yeah i can see that it yeah, looks terrible it, ju- it just looks appalling and you just think sure at no point did did nobody say you know what this so i presume the samsung one is similar as well um and and i i did i did think to myself actually i wonder what the wear testing on these is like have they kind of folded it back and forth a hundred thousand times to make sure the screen doesn't fail no at the bend of course they don't the problem of course is that is that the um yeah on the top it's it's gonna it's gonna have that horrible plastic bend in it and it's gonna look awful yep it's it's always going to look awful. Here's the problem with the foldable phones. We've got to the point now where we're used to very high resolution screens. We're going to go to some 
plasticky thing that simply because it folds, it looks terrible. Uh, uh, look, we've got big phones, um, and you know, for many of us, commodity prices are such that if you want a big device and a small device, you can. And many people can afford to have yeah. a phone, a, de- a good phone, uh, or a mid mid-sized phone, and then maybe a cheap tablet or something for something that's bigger. Um, you know, you and I both have uh, the Amazon Fire tablets. Um, and they're not very much money at all, and they're absolutely fantastic devices for the money. Um, so if you want a bigger device for occasional use, to me, two devices, um, you know, perhaps a, a, the, a, a good device and then a cheap device might be a better solution. Than having well, this thing's $2,000. You could buy a, a <laughs> brand-new iPhone for cash and an iPad. Well, you could get an iPad Pro yeah. and, a, and an iPhone yeah. for, for that money. For less. Yeah. Um, Crazy. Uh, yeah, as we said last week, this is this is a, a, a an early look at what what the technology's future is going to look like. But to me, they need to they need to make this work with glass. Otherwise, it's a bit of a non-starter to me. Totally agree. It it seems stupid. I, I don't. And this this outward folding one again. Yeah, it's a plastic screen which shows that horrible mark on the hinge. Um. And it's folding outwards. That means it, it, the screen's on both sides. There is no way to put that phone down without putting further scratches in some no. plastic. Unless you put it in a case, and then what's the point? <sighs> yeah. Anyway. Pretty stupid. Well, you know. Uh, but I don't, I don't want them to stop. Not everything is sensible at Mobile right. Congress or CES, is it? I don't want them to stop innovating. It's not no. what we're saying here. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, innovate, come up with something that's good, and then show it to us. That's right. Um, and give it a good name, unlike the new USB standard that's coming out soon. Oh, well, I, th- I think we mentioned this last week as well. I think I remember saying something like, "Oh, USB naming standards yeah. is stupid," uh, and then this came out, and it's unbelievable. So, so uh, go ahead. I was going to say we already get confused by. USB 3.0, USB 3.1, and the um, USB Implements Forum has decided that the best way of resolving this problem is to rename everything again. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable, the stupidity. <laughs> this is a forum. This is a committee of different manufacturers. I just would want to be a fly on the wall on the meeting where they thought somebody presented this and they went they all went yeah sounds great to us yeah because they, good job they're Chuck. Take, yeah <laughs> they're gonna take usb 3.1 gen 1 and they're gonna rename that to usb 3.2 gen 1 and then they're gonna take usb 3.1 gen 2 which was a faster version of USB 3.1. So USB 3.1 Gen 1 used to be known as USB 3.0. And I've already got a headache. <laughs> so USB 3.1, which is faster than USB 3.0 or USB 3.1 Gen 1, which are the same thing, is now going to be called USB 3.1 Gen 2. And then they've got um, a USB 3.2 standard, which is faster again, which they're going to call... USB 3.2 Gen 2 times 2 because it's using double the lanes apparently of, of the, the other one. Now, to be fair to them, they've realised that's very confusing. So they're going to have some additional terms. 
because those are the technical terms. We're legally and allowed to shoot them at this point, right? <laughs> obviously, you can't use the technical terms because that's going to confuse everybody. So, USB 3.2 Gen 1, which used to be USB 3.1 Gen 1, and before that was USB 3.0, will actually be re- referred to in marketing as Super Speed USB. How are you meant to tell that from USB 2.0? I don't know. And then USB 3.2 Gen 2, which is faster than USB 3.2 Gen 1, otherwise known as Super Speed USB, is also going to be called Super Speed USB 10 gigabit. What's your uh, Twitter handle? (laughs) My my Twitter handle is at USB 3.2 Gen 2 by 2 by 2. Yep. So anybody complaining about this segment, please sit directly directly to David. Well, hang on a minute. We haven't finished. Because USB 3.2 Gen 2 by 2 you can't call it that. That's too much of a mouthful. But you can call it super speed USB 20 gigabyte per second. Oh, oh okay. why didn't you get to that? that? Because that's much everything. better. Yeah, that's so much better. <laughs> uh. And that's quite... All of this is quite ignoring the fact that those uh, titles have nothing to do with the type of cable that goes into the no. <laughs> So that might be Type C. It probably, probably all of these will be Type C adapters. But when you plug it into Type C, you won't know whether it is US, USB 3.2 Super Speed USB 20 gigabits or whether it's Thunderbolt. Or and and it might be Thunderbolt two or it might be Thunderbolt three. So if you guys all have <laughs> things you need to plug in. Check out the OWC. Uh, <laughs> they have a brand new OWC ThunderDock 3. Uh, 85 watts of power for fast laptop charging. Uh, 14 ports. So all of the stuff David's talking about for the stupid USB stuff. Uh, you don't Forget it. Just, just buy this. This gives you a micro SD card slot, an SD card slot, audio in and out. A USB 3.1 Gen 1, a USB 3.1 Gen 2. So, again, uh, I, you don't care think, because it's got it. I think you mean super speed USB and That's, super I did. speed USB yeah. 10 gigabits. Uh, it also has on the back four USB 3.1 Gen 1 ports. <laughs> See, gigabit even before Ethernet. it was rubbish, and uh, now they've made it worse. A, uh, it's got dual Thunderbolt 3 ports and a mini, mini display port. I mean, this is all you need. You can connect up two 4K monitors to your Mac with this thing, or one 5K monitor. Yeah. It's awesome. This is what you need. Seriously, yeah. this is all you need. Yeah, Just well, forget all that. Well it, this is two ninety nine. Just go buy this. Uh, yeah. You can get it in silver or space gray. Have you ever plugged in to a dock like that a USB 3 drive copied... I don't know, 10, 15 gigs of files to it, and thought to yourself, this is too slow, it really needs to be faster. No. Because I haven't, because it's fast as it is. Yeah. <laughs> Why they need to make it faster, I don't understand. Hmm. You know? Faster and more confusing. That could be their tagline. This this coming this year. Faster and more confusing. So let's jump over to our wiki uh, trolling page. Mm. This is a different one. Serwin Vega. Have you ever heard of Serwin Vega before, David? I have never heard this in my entire life. So this is going to be an interesting segment. So and great pictures here. Oh yeah, especially the orange ah. out one. Oh uh, yeah, it's really 
They couldn't have. They couldn't have picked worse pitchers if they tried. Yeah. So Serlin Vega is a um, a speaker maker, basically. Started in 1954. Um, I believe they're still going on, but they were acquired by um, a Gibson Guitar Company in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, they they went bankrupt once as well again. Yeah. So it, like, how much of the uh, the original Vega also in remains is hard to determine. Yeah, I know that they still make Sir and Vega speakers out there somewhere, but I I don't think it really has anything to do with the Sir and Vega speakers that I personally remember from back in the day. Sir uh, and Vega, they were never super high end, David. Right, but they weren't. They were a whole lot better than like the cheap speakers you would get. When you bought kind of an all-in-one audio system, well, yeah, those you bought an all-in-one, and basically you got a um, a very thin chipboard shoebox with with a couple of wires in it, and if you were lucky, a cardboard cone. So uh, anything would have been better than that. Uh, it says the Surin Vega brand remains split across two companies: Gibson for Surin Vega and CVDA Holdings for Serwin Vega Mobile. Ugh, who cares? This is where this is why I wanted to pick it, to be honest with you. Um, back in the 80s, I, of course, was an audiophile, but I couldn't afford the high-end stuff. Um, yeah. I remember going to a store once, and I had some money, and I bought a pair of speakers that for a long time were my favorite. They were Serwin Vega AT12s. And I actually put a picture of them in the show notes. And I did get the black ones just like that. They also came in wood grain, but uh-huh. I had the black ones. And it had a removable cloth grill. Now, the picture that I'm that I'm providing in the show notes, and I'll probably use it for the graphics on the show as well, yeah. um, has that removed so you can actually see the speakers. But you could actually adjust the tweeter and the mid-range from a little uh, radial dial right on the speaker itself. Cool. These things were so freaking heavy. Yeah. I mean, well, good speakers always are. Mm, they had uh, 12-inch subs, mm-hmm. and, uh, man, the magnets on those things were gigantic. Yeah. Don't put your credit card near it. When I moved down to Houston briefly in my little tiny Ford Ranger, these were the two biggest things that I carried with me. It was, uh, I just remember trying to lug the, they were just so big and heavy so, ungainly. so how how because t- obviously nothing in the picture for scale. How tall are these? Oh, two and a half feet tall, three te- three feet wow. tall. So they weren't wow. they weren't really tall. <laughs> these are big. They were yeah. big and wide. Well, when you figure that the subwoofer on the bottom, that's a twelve inch sub. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Now those are um, monoliths. I think would be a good term for them. I can. These, I, I've got. To, I've never heard of this brand, but I've got to say those that particular pair you have there look kind of cool. They were awesome in the eighties. Um, yeah. I like their logo because their logo, Cerro and Vega, they made it look like a subwoofer or yeah. a tweeter or whatever you want to call it. But you yeah. can see it right there on the sub. But it was distinctive because the cone, the outside of the cone, was always orange on Cerro and Vegas. Yep. So that's that's why that kind of um, early eighties picture that's in the Wikipedia page. Look, oh, it's seventy nineteen seventy five. That's actually Gene Servinsky, who was the Serwin of Serwin Vega. Yep. Um, it looks kind of weird because he has these kind of 
what looked like strange saucer objects there with him. Of course, it's the cones from the speakers lying flat. Well, and you notice that his jacket is orange. It's the same color as the uh, housing on the cone at the bottom there. Yep. Yeah. So it, yeah. orange was always kind of their thing. Um, it's one of those brands that I bet a lot of people listening remember, but haven't mm-hmm. thought about in forever. Cero and Vega speakers. They were. Yeah. They also had uh, AT15s, and I almost got those. But I thought the sif- the 15 inch subwoofer was a little bit more sloppy. It was blah, too much, you know. Yeah. And, and I wanted the tighter bass um, for Motley Crue, you know, because that's probably what I was listening to then, um, or Duran Duran or Prince or you know, 80 stuff. Yeah. Um, but you, you, I, I lived at my parents' house with these speakers. I couldn't wait for my parents to go somewhere. Uh, yeah, I remember um, being at boarding school with my hi-fi set. Um, I had, I had, because um, I was at boarding school, I was moving all the time with them. So I actually had bookshelf speakers. I had a pair of Wolfdale Diamond speakers. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, which were great speakers. They really were for the little size they were. And and yeah, I could get that up pretty loud. And I remember one time having it on loud in uh, a break time at school. <laughs> and I'd forgotten that the housemaster of the boarding house, his office was downstairs, probably maybe one, two rooms over from where my study was. Uh-huh. So he could hear this coming through the ceiling. And of course, he came up to tell me to turn it down. And I wasn't facing the door. I was looking out the window. So he came in, and this music's pounding out. I didn't hear him come in. And he shouted at the top of his voice, Turn it down! Yep. It was awkward. Oh, sorry. Was that was that loud? You know, I had friends that were into music and listening to loud music and stuff at the same time, so... Of course, there was a good brief period of time where they were very jealous of, you know, the fact that I got a pair of Sir and Vega AT12. I remember spending way too much for them at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have even done like a, a rent-to-own type of thing on them, if I remember right. I mean, it's been so long that yeah. it's kind of hard to remember sometimes. But, you know, when you really want something that bad and you're stupid and young, well, young... Um, yeah. you know, you, you don't think I'm going to end up spending five times the worth of these speakers to own them now, instead of just, yeah. you know, saving like my money, saving my money. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, that's the way of the world. There's a photo that I shared with you a long time ago that actually has me standing in front of my hi-fi or sitting or kneeling in front of my hi-fi mm-hmm. system from back in the day. And that was the system I had the Sero and Vegas hooked up to. But I could hook up four speakers to that system. And I remember hooking up uh, the AT-12s. And my dad had some old, old Bose speakers that didn't sound nearly as good as the Sero and Vegas. And uh, I remember I put one of those on top of uh, the hi-fi system. Because I thought that would look cool and it would give me a good sound. Uh, It looked cool. It did not give me a good sound. Matching speakers do make a difference, folks. Um, but, you know... Well, you, you know, you say that a lot of people listening probably won't have any experience of any of this because very many younger people have probably never heard of even a, a mid, mid, midway good-sounding hi-fi system. That's true, because if they're used to compressed music, 
listening well, yeah, on cheap headphones. music on a on a on a on a Bluetooth speaker at best, or in the car, or something like that. Most people in the car is is probably going to be the best sound system they're going to listen to nowadays, or maybe what they have on the TV. But then, how many people actually listen to music through their TV as opposed to watch movies and stuff? Yeah. So, you, you know, guys like you and I who used to hand-pick components based on what we wanted and what we could afford and it was always a, a very interesting balance to try and you know to try and get the best you could for the, what often was the littlest money and i rem- i remember um we we uh my friends and i at board, also at boarding school because we were all into hi-fi and music and that sort of thing because everyone everybody wants a good sound system because most people didn't have computers or anything like that back then in the 80s right um we would read through um we would get a copy of what hi-fi magazine which was the the british magazine that kind of still is going and and basically was almost like the bible for hi-fi buyers uh, and we, you would go at the back. They had basically a list of virtually everything they could find on the market and their assessment of it, kind of like a car magazine today. Um, and you would you would sometimes you build the fancy systems by choosing the most expensive components you could find. You know, a a, a record deck with a glass, a, a, yeah, a turntable with a glass platter, and a you know a high end ceramic cartridge on it, and then you know ribbon ribbon speakers that cost ten thousand pounds a pair and and stuff like that and you kind of build your fancy systems and and that's what it was all about because you were trying to you know if you didn't have a lot of money you were trying to buy the best components you could get for not very much cash sounds like your sewin vegas were uh, pretty much a sweet spot there for those they were because i don't remember how much they cost at the time you can still buy them by the way Uh, i just saw a pair on ebay that looked like crap they were still like 300 bucks uh, but I think they made these AT12s for many years. I mean, they, they probably produced these for years and years and years. Um, yeah. I just remember when my parents were home, I would use my boombox, and it had detachable speakers. And I know I told you this before. Yeah. And I would put them on either side of my head, and I'd put volume at one, which from a foot away, you couldn't really hear anything. But yeah. with those speakers right next to my ear, it was amazing. But yeah. if my parents were gone, oh boy. Yeah. And and my TV at the time, this was 86. Yeah. There was no way to get audio out of my TV into my stereo system. That didn't come till yeah. later. Yeah. And I always dreamed of being able to hook up my TV to my stereo and, and listen to MTV over my stereo in Vegas. I thought that yeah. would be the ultimate. I remember when Nikon Digital Audio came to TVs and videos, mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, all of a sudden you could get good quality um, sound out of a TV, uh, but, you know, but just by hooking up to, this was before proper surround sound or anything, just by hooking up to a regular amp. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a bit of a game changer compared to what we had before, which was normally like a terrible, uh, buzzy speaker in the side of the TV cabinet itself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the good old days. Yeah. So let's yeah. wrap up this episode, David. Unless you've got something. Uh, no, I do have stuff to talk about. But oh, I think it will awesome. do for next. I will do for next week. Oh, okay. I'll save it for next week. All right. Well, I guess I'll see you next week. See you next week. Take Bye. care.